Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Created for those committed to mastery and success. Coming to you from Manly, Australia, we break down the science and philosophy of optimal performance so you can unleash your potential. Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. This is Jira Taylor, your host and the founder of the Flow State Collective, and this is episode 47 of the podcast. And today it's a flow nugget, which means that I will be giving you a flow nugget, which means uh, nuggets of flow, which means not an interview with a guest, but a discussion or a what rather a monologue with me. Um, and today's one is based on a exciting finding I found in my journal from a couple of years ago, and I'd written a written a piece. Um, called Jiro's 21 Success Principles. And so I was reading through this and I thought, wow, there's some good value here. Um, because I'd never really, I've never really like gone into too granular detail in, in terms of what I view as the pivotal shifts in my life um, that have led me to where I am now. And I say that, you know, in radical authenticity, I'm not saying that there's some awesome life that everyone should try and emulate. What I am saying is that I feel like I have gone from a, from a life of inauthenticity where I felt like there was a, a whole lot of pretending um, and which came with a whole lot of insecurity and fear and unhappiness. And I've shifted to a life where there is no pretending and there is a lot of authenticity, which comes with it a lot of self-acceptance and a lot of love. Um, so that's all that I'm saying when I talk about Jiro success principles. So I hope you get some value out of these 21 points, guys. I'd love to hear comments and feedback and all that sort of all that sort of stuff. But first of all, just uh, enjoy. See ya. Asking myself the tough questions that lead to self-awareness. So this is like foundational. You often hear me talking about how self-awareness is the foundation for all growth. And number one in my success principles is sitting yourself down, shutting off the world and asking yourself tough questions. And what sort of questions am I talking about? I'm talking about going three to five levels deep on why. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why aren't you doing what you're dreaming about? What stands between you and your highest levels of performance? What did you dream about as a child that you aren't doing now? There's a whole list of questions that if we actually stop to think about it, we could just reel off and fill a whole page or two pages or three pages or 10 pages. But questions are powerful, guys. And by asking yourselves these tough questions, you give yourself no place to run away to. You, you, you just don't avoid, you basically make it your, the life of your dreams unavoidable. So number one, ask yourself the tough questions that lead to greater self-awareness. Number two is breaking away from conditioning. So often I talk about conditioning as being like layers of the onion. And we have this nubbin, which is our true self. And then we have all these layers of societal cultural conditioning, which is not a bad thing in itself. The only uh, damaging factor is when we have no awareness of this conditioning. So to break away from conditioning, you first of all have to become aware that there is some conditioning. And then you have to choose how you want to recondition yourself. So for me, what was very integral for my shift from a life of inauthenticity to a life where I feel like I live with balance and freedom and flow and power, the key for me was to shift my perspective on what success really means. 
and to really get clear on what my dreams and my goals are. So previously, I was operating from a paradigm of success that was not mine. It was culture's paradigm of success. Um, it It was not innate within me. So to break away from societal conditioning around success and wealth and all that sort of stuff, I had to become aware of it and then redefine it so that I created a new model, a new paradigm of success that I could live by. So that's number two. Be a rebel. Break away from conditioning. Number three, feeding my consciousness with high-quality inputs. So I view our consciousness as something to be fed with far greater awareness and care than how we feed our body even. It's very important to feed our body well, but how do you feed your mind? Do you feed your mind with reality TV shows and the nine o'clock news and the inane gossip of your colleague who doesn't shut up? Or do you feed your consciousness consciously with what you feel serves your highest goals, with high quality inputs, certain types of documentary or book or stimulating conversations with a certain type of person, podcasts, movies, you have choice over how you feed your consciousness to a large degree. So step three was choosing a whole new diet for my consciousness. Step number four, developing a meditation and awareness-based practice. So I started meditating um, early in age when I was 21. And then I lost my way um, as I sort of went deeper and deeper into this inauthentic path in my mid-20s. And unsurprisingly, the most painful and inauthentic periods of my life have corresponded to the times of my life where I have not meditated, which kind of tells you something. So developing a meditation-based practice is absolutely foundational. If you really, if you really care about freedom and you really care about high performance and purposeful living, then start meditating. Don't put it off any longer. It really is the key to a better life. Step number five, was learning to hear my intuition so that I could learn to trust my intuition so that I could learn to strengthen my intuition. Now, intuition is absolutely key. I believe that the biggest problem facing modern-day man is that we have gone down this path where we have given too much importance to the power of thoughts or to the thinking mind and this has come at the cost of our intuitive mind so i believe that we fundamentally have these two systems we have thinking mind and intuitive mind when you intuit something there's no cognitive thought processes going on it's more of a feeling type of intelligence and when you look at wild animals when you look at um, wild people what you'll notice is that they have a very highly functioning sense of intuition, almost to the point of telepathy, uh, almost to the point uh, where animals and humans can sense impending danger like a tsunami or a typhoon or whatever it is, and they'll seek shelter. That's the sort of intuition that is our birthright. It is our, that's our full humanity. And uh, the reason why we don't operate with this, with this really strong sixth sense is because we have, it has become crippled and it sort of has weakened as we've given too much importance, I believe, to our thinking intelligence. So first of all, to strengthen this type of intelligence, you have to first of all hear it, hear what might be the faint calls of your intuition, those subtle feelings in your stomach or in your heart. 
And to strengthen that, you have to trust those feelings. And to strengthen it even more, you have to act on those feelings. You have to take action on those on your sixth sense. And that is the way to strengthen it. So that's point five, honor your intuition. Step number six on Jiro's 21 steps is to cultivate a certain social group around me. Someone mentioned the quote the other day. It was, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I thought that was quite interesting. Um, And it reminded me of a Japanese uh, proverb which says, when the character of a man is not clear to you, look at his friends. And I really believe this. I really believe that uh, just like feeding our consciousness, the people that are around us have a profound impact on who we are and who we become. If you're surrounding yourself with people that have certain character traits and they operate at a certain level and certain types of behavior are the norm for them, then it is most likely because we are easily conditioned beings that you will start to mirror their behaviors. In fact, latest, re- latest research when it comes to the neuroscience of empathy uh, and mirror neurons um, heightens the, the, you know, the, it, it, it means we're even more, you can understand how we're even more likely to mirror or copy the people around us. That's how we've evolved to be. So therefore, if you want to um, shift your life in a way where you have a certain type of behavior, a certain type of thought, a certain type of habit that's going to serve what you feel is your highest goals, then look for the people around you that embody all of those things and do what is necessary to be around them. So cultivate this social group. The big, one of the biggest shifts in my life was when I decided to basically cut huge numbers of people from my life um, and go in search of a new type of human that I wanted to spend my time with. And it was such a game changer for me. So think about that one, guys. Point number seven. This is a big one. Recognize and amplify the subtle shifts in consciousness that you have that are created by real life experience. So there's certain episodes, there's there's certain like wisdom that you take on in your life and you're like, oh yeah, okay, so there is interconnectedness, there is oneness, okay. And you might read about the Buddha's law of impermanence or you might hear someone talk about how you are not your thoughts and that there is this duality, a separation between your thoughts and your true self. And until you actually experience it, it's entirely theoretical. And whilst it's theoretical, it is not embodied. And if it's not embodied, it's really not a true experience of life. And it's really not going to be something that is going to shift your consciousness. But there's going to be a time in your life where the penny will drop. And I remember there was this one time I came out of a meditation. I was living in Japan and I came out of a meditation. And in this meditation, I had been, I had felt oneness in the sense that the physical boundaries of my body had dissolved and in this state of consciousness I felt pure connection with not only the meditators around me but with all living sentient beings with all of life and it was a felt experience that words just can't do justice to but when I had that experience it's all of a sudden it it lent new credence to 
all of the theory, all of the words, all of the quantum physics, all of the spiritual texts, all of the conversations that I had ever had with everyone in my life about feeling connected or oneness or interconnectedness. When I actually experienced it, it was a game-changing shift in consciousness. And so I recognized it and I amplified it. I amplified it by writing about it. I amplified it by talking to people about it. I made sure that it wasn't a fleeting moment in my life that would slip away. I made sure that I, that I grabbed onto it. And the same, is, uh, the same happens in, in all these other little shifts that we have. When I understood how everything truly is impermanent, when I understood that um, life is just a journey to death, when I understood that I really am just um, a, 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 a being, I am this pure consciousness that happens to have thoughts, but I am not the thoughts themselves. All of these things were shifts in consciousness that got really seared into myself by me consciously devoting some contemplation time to them. So that's number seven, guys. Recognize them, then amplify them. Number eight, understand neuroplasticity and the power that we have to change our brains, change our minds, change our thought patterns, change ourselves, and therefore change our destiny. So neuroplasticity is a very, very recent term. Until the 1990s, they thought that our brain was pretty much a fixed object and um, everything that we did up until a certain age of something like 20, 21, that pretty much dictated who we were in life. And that's possibly where the, where the completely false expression, a leopard doesn't change its spots, comes from. And um, neuroplasticity is the term that describes how plastic our brains are, how we can actually change neural pathways. We can change the whole neural structure of our brains. We can actually shrink certain parts of our brains, grow certain parts of our brains, um, reinforce the connection between certain emotions and certain behaviors. And really, we, can have, we have so much power over our minds, and therefore we have so much power over our destiny, of how our life unfolds. And to me, that sort of science-backed empowerment is really pivotal, really critical for me to live a life of my own creation. So guys, if this is all a bit vague to you, if you don't know what the hell I'm talking about, then go pick up um, any book by Dan Siegel, by Norman Doidge. Um, look up The Brain That Changes Itself, um, type in neuroplasticity, look up the word of Dr. look up the work of Dr. Rick Hansen. Uh, so Dan Siegel, Rick Hansen, Norman Doidge, and I'm sure there's a few others that I uh, can't remember. But educate yourself on your brain because it will do more than teach you about the brain. It will show you a whole new paradigm of living your life. So that's point number eight. Moving on to point number nine. This is an interesting one. Redefining my relationship with money. So I see that as a pivotal step in my life. Why? Well, money is one of the areas in our life where we are most deeply conditioned. We pick up our parents' views on money from a very early age. If your mother or your father lives with a scarcity mindset and they're a hoarder, a saver, they're always looking for the, for the discount section at the supermarket Maybe they've got certain perceptions about rich people. Maybe, they've talk, maybe they have negative perceptions uh, about bankers and lawyers. Um, all of these things ripple out and become absorbed by us. 
And money is one of the one of the areas where we are most deeply conditioned. And I believe that redefining one's relationship with money can open up the gateways to abundance. <laughs> and abundance is what I call the opposite of scarcity. So if you're operating with this mindset of scarcity, uh, which is fueled by a negative relationship or a negative perception of money, then trust me on this one, you are going to repel money. You're going to be like a repellent for abundance. And um, you see it time and time again. You see the people who are most money conscious or the most, you know, the most fearful around money kind of don't have any. So shifting the relationship with money involves seeing it as a inherently pure form of energy. So money in itself is not good or bad any more than um, a wave is good or bad or any more than uh, any electricity or nuclear energy is good or bad. Like the, the energy itself, there is no value judgment to the energy itself. Of course, it's the application of that energy that creates what might be judged by your mind as good or bad but the energy itself of money is 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 nothing it's 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 a it's a lubricant it's a force it's um it's it's a wonderful uh form of power um, that can be harnessed to do wonderful things in our life so redefining my relationship with my money required me to get very deep and to dig out the weeds of negative conditioning that i had picked up and look it's it's still a work in progress because these things are so deeply entrenched in me um, sometimes um, I still notice a, a slight scarcity mindset in my mind, but I'm very quick to get on top of that and to uh, use, <laughs> use the principles of neuroplasticity to work on transforming that scarcity mindset to one of abundance. Um, and this is a wonderful practice, guys. Shift your relationship with money and you will begin to notice a shift in how money plays into your life. Um, step number 10, guys. Um, Become friends with fear. This is huge. So I remember having this moment in my life, uh, in my 20s, when I realized that fear is my friend. And what I mean by that is I realized that nothing in my life is as truthful and helpful to me than fear. Because fear doesn't lie. Fear is this feeling in my stomach is it's an emotion. I feel it so viscerally. It makes me, when it's intense, it gives me the butterflies and it gives me that nausea feeling and I know it's real. And because I know that it's real, that is a marker that I can put down and I can make serious life decisions from that place of realness. Do you know what I mean? Like very few things in life are as real as that, but fear is real. And so I use that realness to decide to set the compass of my life. And so if there is something that I feel fearful towards, and right now I'll tell you, I feel fearful towards public speaking, even though I do a podcast, the, the, the idea of getting up in front of hundreds or thousands of people on a stage gives me sweaty palms and butterflies. But because I know that I'm fearful of that, I know on a deep, deep, deep level that that is somewhere that I will walk towards in the name of growth, in the name of growth and love for myself. That's where I've got to walk towards. So becoming friends with fear. And I think this is something I learned from the work of uh, Carlos Castaneda. And he wrote 
a series. I'm just trying to find them. Nope, I've packed all my books away. Um, he wrote a series of books, but look up Google Carlos Castaneda. I put some links in, but he put uh, he wrote a, some, a series of books uh, featuring a wise uh, shaman called Don Juan, and Don Juan talked about fear, um, fear and death being your best friend. Um, because they give you such an accurate direction for where to walk in your life. So, guys, take some notes on what you're afraid of. Um, take some notes on what makes you afraid right now in life and decide right now what you're going to do about that. Because fear is the indication of where your comfort zone is. And living inside your comfort zone is not going to lead to a very good life breaking outside the comfort zone is going to lead to a most wonderful life. And fear is where that border of comfort zone is. So it's so helpful to us. Number 11 is very connected to number 10. Point number 11 on Jiro success principles is changing my outlook on life and death. So this is not morbid. This is liberating. Um, when I did some work on getting comfortable around death, um, I experienced a sense of freedom that I just did not have before. Um, so I grew up with a, with a big fear of death. My, my, my dad, I, I, love him, I love him a lot. And I, I just mentioned this um, out of uh, just interest and help for you guys. But um, yeah, my, my father um, used to, I don't, he was doing this out of love, but he used to say things to my brother like, um, because he, he had us when he was in his 40s. Um, and he used to say, hey, I'm not going to be around forever. Um, so just, just be, just be prepared for that. And, you know, I remember being like seven or eight and just like not being able to sleep at night because I was thinking about my dad not being, not being there. Um, and this carried on, like I, I had a fear of death, um, throughout my twenties and through much of my thirties. And, you know, I've, I've done a lot of work around, um, getting comfortable with death. And actually it's a, it's a, it's a very spiritual path to, to get comfortable around death because really, of course, death is, 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 a, is an ending of something. But really, it's when you shift your perspective to understand that it's really just not the ending of, of, of much at all. It's just the ending of a physical form. Then it helps you to become comfortable on life and death. And, um, you know, the, the Tibetans... Uh, from a very early age, the Tibetan children will be doing meditations on death. And I started doing some meditations on death, um, which basically involves um, visualizing and uh, contemplating uh, the, the, the death of the physical form. Um, and all of this sort of work, all of, these, all of this sort of willful, intentional contemplation of the finality of this physical form um, but also getting more intimate with what is infinite. Getting intimate with the infinite. I love that. Um, getting intimate with what is infinite in terms of your higher self, in terms of this spark of life that surely does not die when our physical form dies. So, I mean, this is, a, you know, maybe you don't agree with that physical, that spiritual belief that I just stated there. But what I can tell you guys is that when you get comfortable with your own death, when you face your own mortality, when you see death as your friend, you begin to be, uh, live life with a whole different frequency. Because if you, embracing death, embracing the inevitability of death, ena enables us to actually live. And I think Alan Watts has a very wise quote on that, which I can't quite remember. But it's only when we get familiar and comfortable with our eventual death 
that we can actually truly start to live. And when I say these words, I think about the other day I was walking in the city and I, and I basically saw the walking dead. I saw a lot of people living life, but not living life. It was almost like they were not aware that they had a limited period of time in this physical form. It looked like they just had no idea that this was a rare opportunity to live life truly. And so that's what I mean by when you become intimate with the impending and inevitable destruction of this physical form, and you get cool with that, then you can suddenly shift your perception so that you live your life in the most wonderfully bold way. Because what the hell is the point in holding back when the only certain thing in life is that we're going to die? <laughs> and that's not even morbid. That's liberating. Okay, number 12. We're moving swiftly on. <laughs> number 12 is focusing on habits that serve my highest goals, but not focusing on the goals themselves. Now, that might sound a little bit like a mind-twisting riddle, but it's not. So I choose to focus on habits rather than goals. And I choose to be aware of my goals, but release my goals. So I set my goals as a direction in my life. And then I let them go. And I don't fixate on them. They're gone. They're in my subconscious. They're not in my conscious mind. What I fill my conscious mind with is habits. Habits that, the, that if I commit to will lead me unavoidably to achieving those highest goals that I've set. So guys, habits rather than goals is where the power is. Habits are super, super, super powerful. So set habits and commit to them. Our entire biology and neurobiology is set up for the creation of habits. 21 days, they say it takes us to form a habit. Our whole neural structure changes when we form a habit. And habits are what? change our behaviors and behaviors is what changes our life and our destiny guys so focus on habits release the goal if you want to know more about this i'll put a link to a uh, a document i made which is called the goal smash formula and what i meant by that was smash goals get them out of your life uh, focus on habits and this is based on a lot of eastern wisdom um, so i'll put a link on that in this uh, blog post point number 13 trust in the universe and even as I say that, I can see somebody rolling their eyes and thinking, oh, Jiro, he's gone off with the, with the, uh, with the hippies in Byron Bay, playing with his crystals, talking about the universe and all that sort of stuff. But trust me on this one, guys. There is something greater than yourself. And when I say trust in the universe, I'm saying just trust in that. Trust in whatever it is that is greater than yourself, Mother Nature, God, if you want to use that word, baby Jesus, whatever it is, just put your trust in something that is greater than yourself, nature, and surrender to that. And what I'm thinking of, or what, was, what I was thinking of when I wrote this point down as point number 13, was that trusting and surrendering is the opposite of forcing. Now, I've had many years of my life where I've tried to force outcomes and it has worn me down. And I'm sure that there's many of you listening out there who want a different reality. You want to have a better job. You want to live more purposeful, a more purposeful life. You want to have the partner with whom you can have babies. 
And what I'm saying is that if you live by, if you try to force this, if you try and force this, you are operating from a place of lacking. You're saying, I don't have what I want to have and I want to try and force this thing in my life to appear. And that, my friends, is living in fear. The opposite of that is to accept fully what you have right now and trust fully that everything that you need in life will be given to you if you just surrender and let it be. And that, my friends, is living in love. So trusting in the universe and surrendering, this isn't some wishy-washy, woo-hoo, um, abandonment of self-responsibility. What I'm saying is live with love, not fear. Accept fully who you are and what your life is. And from that place, amazing things will happen. Point number 14. So we are one, two-thirds of the way there, guys. So point number 14. This is an interesting one. This is uh, love your body, move your body mindfully. So our body, this is very connected to point number six around intuition, point number five. So our body is obviously our, a magnificent thing. It's, it's, it's a temple. Um, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is the body is the container of our higher self. It is the container of our heart. It is the container of, of all of us. But so many of us do not give us, do not give our bodies the respect that they deserve. We, we do not love our bodies. So I believe that um, on my personal path, learning to love my body, and, and that means dealing with body image issues. A lot of people have body image issues where they don't feel their body's enough. They don't feel like they're, you know, they, they don't love their body because, and this has got a lot to do with societal conditioning around what is a good body. And a lot of people have self-love issues around that. Um, so you've got to deal with that sort of stuff, guys. If you want to move ahead and, you know, live this life of abundance and, and love, you've got to deal with that um, self-image issue. And then... I believe that moving your body in a mindful way is a very powerful way to actualize your full potential. Like our body is the, is is the is the gateway. It's it's the pathway to full potential living. When you when you unlock the emotions that are within your body, you begin to express yourself fully. When you learn to move your body in a mindful way, you learn to experience a peace of mind that you've never, ever, ever known was even possible, guys. So love your body and move your body through some sort of practice, whether it's yoga, whether it's qigong, whether it's stretching, whether it's whatever it is, whether it's surfing, but move your body mindfully. And what I mean by that is move your body and be fully aware of the moving of your body. Point number 15 or step number 15 on my path to wherever it is that I am right now Accept what I cannot change and change what I cannot accept. I don't think I need to talk much around this, but I'll just say it again. Accept what I cannot change and change what I cannot accept. Point number 16, always ask for help. This is a very, very simple one, but I've always, I've always been someone who's never had a problem with asking for help. Um, I remember being, whether it's in a in my work environment or whatever environment, I've always um, been able to ask for help. And when I ask for help, what I've noticed in my life is that it just 
opens up the gateways to all sorts of awesome shit because people all of a sudden become empowered to start giving you something. And then, you know, this is also obvious, but a lot of people don't. But if you are in any position where you need help, stop being so goddamn proud about it and ask for help. Ask someone for help, empower them, allow them to. Open up the gateways to that shift. Point number 17, always give help when you can. Obviously, I just talked about how the power of giving help, how you empower someone to give help, but empower yourself to give help when you can. When you give, you receive. Like giving is a source of great power, guys. Number 18, this is connected to these two points, but learn the power of vulnerability and admit what you don't know. So vulnerability is massively powerful. In our culture, especially among males, we kind of see vulnerability as uh, kind of like a weakness or some sort of feminine trait, and nothing could be more true. Um, Vulnerability actually means having the courage to stand there and take your armor off and face the world without weapons and without protection. And if that isn't courage, then nothing is. So vulnerability is the most powerful form of courage. And from vulnerability, you allow other people to be vulnerable. It's a, there's a ripple on effect from that. So if you want to live a life of full power, if you really, really want to unleash everything that you have in life, then it's time to get vulnerable. It's time to share those raw feelings, raw emotions. It's time to start opening up and talking about them, writing about them, sharing them. Because the longer you stop yourself from doing that, the longer you keep them bottled up inside and the longer you are a repressed human being rather than a free human being that lives with radical self-expression. So point number 19 is kind of a funny one. I'm, 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 I'm kind of like, this is the odd one out, uh, but it's uh, personal organization. <laughs> Uh, the power of single tasking and the weakness of multitasking. Okay, so I'll be straight with you. There was a there was a period of my life where I was massively disorganized and and I tried to do everything at once and I didn't use um, lists and I was highly ineffectual in my life. So I guess uh, my point here is that um, multitasking is actually a myth. Like you, we can't. Our, our brains are not set up to actually multitask. Multitasking is just like very rapid single tasking and highly inefficient. So um, learning about single tasking was a powerful way to learn how to live with more flow in my life. Um, single, single-minded focus is the most surefire gateway to a flow state. And that's what I was talking about when I was talking about this sort of personal power of organization. So that's point number 19. Point number 20, uh, my penultimate step to wherever it is that I am now is knowing when I am powerful and capitalizing on this. What I mean by that, by this is that we are, life does not happen in a linear fashion. There are not, there are no straight lines in nature. If you're existing in a very powerful state right now, then do not delude yourself in thinking that you're always going to exist in that, per, in that state of power. And the, the, the science of flow has revealed that flow is a four-stage process. Um, and one of those steps is struggle. So knowing when you are most powerful and capitalizing in this state of power is huge. Like 
acknowledge when you're powerful. And it takes, a, it takes a degree of awareness to know when you're in this state of power. And when I'm in my higher states of power, I make sure I capitalize by giving, my, like, by giving myself fully to, what, to my hardest and most complex problems and challenges that I face. So I reserve my higher states of power for obviously the, 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 the points of highest contribution and complexity in my life. Um, it's obvious. Point number 21, guys, the final point that wraps all of this together. And this is, this is a, um, I'll just say it. Use all of what I've just said to consciously create the reality that I choose. So point number 21 is all about stepping into my power as the conscious creator of my life and using all of these points, all of these shifts in awareness to change my reality according to my conscious choice. And there you have it, guys. Those are my 21 steps to the life I live now. I'm not telling you that it's a perfect life. I'm not telling you it's a life that you should try and emulate. I'm not telling you that I've got a wonderful life. All I'm saying is that I've got a life that I love and I got a life that is full of love and full of flow and I feel balanced and I feel free and I feel powerful. And um, from a place of complete humility and authenticity and compassion, um, I just thought it might be useful to share some of those things. Um, please comment, um, l send me an email, jiro at theflowstatecollective.com. Reach out to me, connect. If, you've, if there's anything that resonated, if there's anything that you wish to share with me, then I'd love to hear from you. And until next time, guys, just keep it real, stay authentic, stay real, and live in flow. I'll catch you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Check us out at www.flowstateperformance.com for more inspiration to unleash your potential.